2: That's ChumbaCasino.com.
1: No purchase necessary. VTW for Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions.
2: 18 plus.
0: You know what's funny is I remember one time. What'd you do? Years, you had a, used to have a mixtape? I mean, yeah, all the time. But the I remember years tape? ago, this girl came over and she wanted me to take her virginity. And I was like, awesome. And I remember I put on the New York Undercover soundtrack from the TV show. They had a soundtrack that came out for New York Undercover. And I put it on and I took her virginity <laughs> to this. And then I remember I made her a copy of the CD before she left. What the
2: fuck, dude? I said, I said, you might want to remember that. I said, that. Uh, here, here's a
0: soundtrack to your virginity. <laughs> oh, my God. What a fucking douchebag. Just ignore the what?
2: the few songs at the end, though. I just, I
0: just threw those off from a, a different mix. What the shit I am. But she, really, she asked for it. She was like... Do you think I can get a copy of that? LL Cool J is hard
3: as hell. Battle anybody, I don't care. you tell. I excuse. Gee, doo, gee, gee,
2: gee, doo. Ah! Rock the Bells by LL Cool J, guys. It's from his 1985 debut album, Radio. It's also number 470 out of 500 on the 500 with josh adam myers aka the king of fleece the fleece king whichever way you want to say it i'm royalty in the fleece game guys final show it's coming up everybody may 31st 2028 we're gonna be having a huge block party so make sure you're there Make sure you're ready to party because we are celebrating, finishing, going through Rolling Stone Magazine's list of the top 500 albums each week. May 31st, 2028. Put it in your calendars. This is what I want you to do for Instagram stories this week. If you motherfuckers are out there and you're doing it and I know you love it, (laughs) take a screenshot of you going into your iCalendar and setting the date for May 31st, 2028 final episode of the 500 party let's make the party around what are you thinking like 4 p.m 4 p.m's good 4 p.m there it is party's set 4 p.m it's gonna be a long party so you know what make it 6 make it 6 p.m 6 p.m party may 31st 2028 get ready for it make instagram stories of it dude Take a screenshot of the of you making that Ical for May 31st 2028 or just take a screenshot of how you're listening to the 500 and put us on your Instagram stories guys at Josh Adam Myers make sure you uh, put my handle on there and also put the hashtag 500podcast give me a 24 hour ad on your social media Today in music, I got two of them today because one of them is important, and the other one I just want to—I wanted you to hear because I read both. In 1997, on May 29th, musician and singer Jeff Buckley drowns at 30. Jeff recently moved to Memphis, Tennessee, to work on the follow-up album to his studio debut, which is so fucking good, so good. That album is one of my all-time favorites. Lover, what is it? Lover, I Have to Come Over? I'm all of on my shoulder. Oh, my God. It's just so good. But just an incredible musician. So that all means a lot to me. So on May 29th, while awaiting the arrival of his band from New York, he drowned during a spontaneous evening swim, fully clothed in the Memphis River, when he was caught in the wake of a passing boat. Dude, I am, it's just, I can't imagine like the music that he would have made because he was so, so talented. So if you have never listened to Jeff Buckley, I'm pretty sure Grace is on this list, but pull out your phone and type in Jeff Buckley on Spotify and have it pull up and then you'll fucking, you know, listen to one of the greatest albums ever. But this is the one that I wanted to talk about. In 1999, skeletal remains were found by photographers looking for old car wrecks to shoot at the bottom of Decker Canyon near Malibu, California. Based on forensic evidence, the remains were Philip Kramer, former bassist with rock group Iron Butterfly, who had disappeared on his way home from work on February 12, 1995, his death was ruled as a probable suicide. That is fucking insane. Not that you just find a body. When you're out there taking shots of old car wrecks, you could probably put them in your, you know, your, your what do they call it? Your fucking rep, repertoire of photography that you're probably doing, you know what I mean? And and then you're like, "Why well, look at this car. And then you pop something open. <laughs> and you just hear... In a car in Malibu, baby, gang, Don't you know that I'm dead and healing? In a car in Malibu, baby, Gana-gana. Don't you know that it's probable suicide? <laughs> oh, won't you come with me and I'll take your hand. Fuck oh, you it. Oh, won't you come with me and I'll lift this lay You'd be like, we should close the door uh, and just let it be. Did you hear all the music coming out of there? I mean, there's no way. All right, a little bit about this record. This is the debut album by New York rapper LL Cool J, who was born James Todd Smith in Bayshore, Long Island, but raised in St. Albans, Queens. For the few who don't know who the fuck this is, it stands for Ladies Love Cool James. He made this album when he was 16 years old. What the fuck were you doing at 16? Trying to touch a girl's titty? Maybe for 30 seconds, if if that's all you could get? I was doing LSD in the forest with Tassos and Ben and Dave Cullen. Watching the Dark Crystal, high on LSD. That's what I was doing at 16. Occasionally. Not a lot, I was do, but I was doing, yeah, I was doing a lot of drugs. But all of this happened for a 16-year-old because of one mecca of hip-hop, and that is Def Jam. At the time, Def Jam was a fledging independent label created by NYU student Rick Rubin and promoter-manager Russell Simmons, king of the Rush Card, whose brother is Run from Run DMC. Now, we'll get a bit more into exactly how LL Cool J and Def Jam hooked up, made hip-hop history, and became widely successful a little bit later in the podcast, of course. But extensively utilizing the Roland T 808 drum machine and a handful of samples, radio is a musically minimalist masterpiece which saves the space for LL's dense wordplay boasts, put-downs, and come-ons. He thinks he's the greatest, and to be honest with you, I've got a guest that is the greatest. We have on today one of the biggest comedians in the world. You may know him from his new series, The Indian Detective, NBC's Last Comic Standing, or for being the first comedian to have their own Netflix special, Notorious. My guest this week is is the one and only Russell Peters. And Russell is a fucking hip-hop head. You cut him, and it spits a rhyme, dude. This dude is hip-hop. And it was funny because he was about to go out of town. So I caught him right before he left, literally, because I I needed him to be on this podcast. I went to his house at like 11 o'clock at night to record this. And it's a fantastic episode. Don't forget to listen to the end of the podcast where we spotlight a new artist that was directly influenced by LL Cool J. Also, rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to The 500. If you haven't subscribed, fucking do it. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. Dude, follow me. If you haven't followed me, fucking do it. Email the podcast at 500podcasts at gmail.com. If you haven't emailed the podcast yet, fucking do it. And for all things 500, go to our website the500podcast.com. If you haven't gone to the website yet, fucking do it. I love you guys so much, man. Uh well, you know what time it is. Nothing left to do but say hello. No! With number 470 out of 500 with Radio by LL Cool J. Russell Peters, Russell Peters, Russell Peters, Russell Peters.
0: <laughs> I thought that, out of everybody, I I'm a were... <laughs> headlining guy with
2: two big eyes. <laughs> uh, all right, let me ask you: How did you first
0: hear LL Cool J? Like, because you're a fan, right? I'm a big fan, and I'm a friend of his. I tried getting him on here for you. I know you, we but, tried, uh, but it's funny he, he replied and everything, and then. You want to do it? And then he stopped replying. I'm like, oh, come on, dude. Come he knew, on, He knew it was
2: me. Uh, no, but so how did you become a fan of LL Cool J? Like, how did
0: this, how did your, like, love of hip hop and it just tell me? So for me, I was a little break dancer. Uh, I started break dancing like 82, 82, 83. And, uh, and then, and I loved the uh, the music that went with it. Yeah. Which was, you know, at the time, sorry for yawning, oh. Uh, this is a great it's going great so far at the time uh, <laughs> it was we didn't know it was hip hop we just knew that this was the dance that went with this music yeah but then when the dancing kind of died down I still wanted to hear the music and uh, you know when you're at the forefront of things like that when you get to be a part of something starting like hip hop was uh, you really you know fairness hip hop was already 10 years old at that time how old are you three. at this time? I'm thirteen, 14. 13, 14. and this is in in Toronto. In Toronto, okay. So you know, I had um, I had uh, Run DMC's first album. I had Houdini's uh, Escape album. I had uh, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, uh, the Message album. I had all these records, and my brother used to DJ, and my brother used to play funk and disco, and from funk and disco started the hip hop stuff because they would rap over those funk and disco records. Yeah. And you would hear things like the Wicca Rap by The Evasions and stuff like that. I don't know that one. Uh, the Wicca Rap is what it, And they would can, kind of be copying the um, Funkin' for Jamaica. Okay. Uh, but anyway, it all started from that. And then uh, uh, we didn't know it was called hip-hop. We didn't know it was called rap. We knew that the guy was rapping, but we didn't know it was called rap. So, so, but I mean,
2: is this is the thing I want to know is like hip-hop big in toronto i mean is it yeah because it's, we're it's...
0: attached to new york how Just... toronto and buffalo new york state are attached to each other sure okay so ontario and new york state were neighbors so we would get all of buffalo new york news and weather and all the channels out of buffalo new york and then via that we would get everything from new york You'd city and the radio stations yeah and so what was the station that broke you Back then, it was WBLK, 93.7, K94 <laughs> FM.
2: All right, y'all. it's definitely a guy Buffalo. that sounded like me. Wolfman Jack. Yeah, everybody. It's Buffalo. It's negative 12 degrees, y'all. <laughs> Here comes another track from Houdini. Y'all. No,
0: that's, see, that's the thing. They were playing like funk and disco and soul and stuff like that. I keep trying to, what, what, what the last dance. No, it would be is. stuff like uh, One Way and stuff like that. One way. No, no, the group.
2: Can we live and die? The, the
0: group, the group One Way. Uh, okay, out of I Ohio. I don't think I was singing the right song. Yeah, no, you were singing a song called One Way. <laughs> it was that, like just love. It was just once, just once, that, yeah. just, <laughs> once, just <laughs> once. I wish you'd get the song fucking right. <laughs>
2: so, so you're listening to this as a 13 year old? Is there a big? Group well, no. Either? Here's the thing. Okay, now,
0: ahead. there's this college station in Toronto called CKLN 88.1, out of Ryerson College in in, in Toronto. Or now it's Ryerson University. Back then it was college. Yeah. Um, and where I lived in the suburbs, it didn't have the reach to get there. Somehow, some way, somebody figured out that if you disconnected the cable from the TV and taped it to the antenna on your boombox, and you set your station to 92-something, you would be able to pick up the radio from Ryerson. Oh, that was great. So every Saturday from 1 to 4, there was the Fantastic Voyage program hosted by Ron Nelson, and and he would play all the newest hip hop and he wasn't particularly a good dj at all but he had all the records and he was and he had all the connections and he was everything he was kind of the voice of my generation so uh we would just literally record the radio every saturday from 1 to 4 and we would just play these cassettes all week till the next week until we record something else. And it just became an immediate, like, it, oh, yeah. it, it hits your soul immediately. It was like, right it, away, it was like, oh my God, what is this? It's amazing because there's nothing like this before. So yeah. now I'm at the forefront of something. And I love being the first at things. And I think that's resonated into my uh, adult life as well, sure. you know? So I was at the forefront of this rap music, I was at the forefront of house music, you know, all these new genres that were starting. I was there when they started. It's a really cool feeling to look back and go, wow, I was right there when that was happening. Yeah.
2: So, so like, so your love of hip hop was instantaneous. So, when did LL make his way into
0: your life? LL made his way, and I think his first, um, I think his first record was I Need a Beat. That was the 12 inch, yeah. That
2: was his first 12 inch. That he made when he was 16 years old. Yes. Uh, in his, his
0: in his grandmother's basement or something.
2: Not to cut you off, but I love this guy's story. Like he started in his in his grandparents' basement, uh, was enamored with music so much that he would record his demos on equipment his grandfather bought him, and then go to stores looking through all the top rap record labels, searching for their addresses. He found Def Jam's. Yep, from Tila Rock record. Yep, from the Tila Rock record. And what was it, Jazzy J record? No, it was here. I have it written down. It was. It's songs yours. Song's called "It's Yours" by Tila Rock, Come and on. and off of the Jet De- Jam, Debt Jam, Def Jam Party Time label. He's sixteen. He, so he's sixteen years old. He finds Rick Rubin. Rick Rubin fucks with him. Uh, Ad Rock fucks with him, yep. and then Russell Simmons doesn't fuck with him because he thinks that he sounds too much like that dude you just said, Tila Rock. Rock. Yeah, f- d- so he was like, "No, no they sound it- nothing alike." Well, that's what he says, dude. That's what I got off of the OK Player magazine d- breaking down <laughs> that whole cool. Yeah, Do you life. want it? Yeah, and said, if you no.
0: had it, would you flown it? He said, Hell he said, yeah! He, he
2: said he reminds me of Grandmaster Kaz and La Rock. Wow, and, and, what's, and nothing's wrong with either of them. And then they created uh, "I Need a Beat," which sold over a hundred thousand units. And I had then... two
0: copies of that record. Did you have two copies of it? Had I mean, did just... you
2: have did you have Crush Groove as well? Crush Groove, Crush Groove.
0: Uh, the uh, movie, the album, the movie Co- that because that's also. I, I saw the movie in the theater. Crush Groove, and I remember LL in the movie, and I go, "Oh shit, that guy's cool as fuck. He came in like he didn't care. Yeah, dude, he's he's like, he's, dude, he's fucking LL Cool J. Ladies love him so."
2: His, his story is just incredible. I never knew any of this stuff. I didn't know he was that hungry. So let's, let's do this. Our album is number 470 out of 500. It's the debut studio album, Radio, by LL Cool J, released November 18, 1985, produced by Rick Rubin and Jazzy J. So tell me about your first experience
0: with this record. Um, I, just, I just dug it. I was like, yo, this is different than everything I've heard so far. I didn't particularly love the song. Yeah. I need a beat. And what bothered me was there was a, a remix of it that was not really a remix, where they just literally the DJ went, mm-hmm. I, I, check, check. Ay, mm-hmm. Ay, I, 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 check, check. I, 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 and I'm like, that's not a fucking remix. That's a guy fucking around <laughs> on the turntable. And I was so mad at that Sam. remix. I was like, you, nobody's ever going to play this version because it's not a real version. All you need is the original, and you can do that yourself. And at this time, I'd already started DJing. Yeah. I started DJing in 85. So I'd already had this record. And the record to have at that time uh, from LL was um, Rock the Bells. That's
2: probably my favorite song on this record.
0: And there's two versions of it.
2: There's a seven-minute version, and then there's the four-minute version. No. That's I Need a Beat. Never mind. You're getting me confused. Rock the Bells
0: had an original version. With the bells. Yeah. That was the original. And then the, re- the remix, that more, the one that became the version, yeah. was LL Cool J is hard as... And that became the record that every single DJ had to know how to cut up you had to know how to cut up Rock the Bells or you weren't worth shit. Well, you weren't DJing at the time, were I you? I sure was. You were DJing at, I was at DJing 13, at 14 years old. When I, no, was I was already 15. You were 15. Yeah, okay. I was already 15 now.
2: So, so like now listening to the record, like how does it how does it resonate with you now?
0: Oh, I get total um, you know, photographic memories of what I was doing at that time and where I was. I can picture the smells and the sounds of everything. It's pretty wild when I do. Like I listen to Rock the Bells radio all the time right yeah. now. And uh, they always play Dear Vet" on there and they play I Can't Live Without My Radio and they play a lot of the album cuts. I Can Give You More. That was a song that was I really liked that song for some reason. No, why well, it's this. Here's the thing is I, I the
2: only LL Cool J that I knew really was the Mama Said Knock You Out. Uh, doing it,
0: that was '89. And then
2: I knew the, and then I, the one I really knew was "Go and get your hands, from, Come and get your hands, from, no, no. from." Yeah, but you're much younger than I. I. I, I'm not not much. I'm I'm 39, and you so I'm are 10 years older. You're, than you're 10 years older than me. Okay, so so listening to this record now, like I, I didn't know what I was really going to be getting, but I knew it was going to be like the earliest form of hip hop because this is basically. At the forefront of when hip hop became national music, right? Actually, worldly music.
0: It was very much at the forefront. This was before the Beasties broke out. Yeah. This is before Run DMC broke out. I mean, Run DMC was already a big name as far as um, the first album. And then I think, and then King of Rock came out, which was also a decently large album for them. But this was right before Raising Hell came out, which was the album that broke them. Uh, Raising Hell. That's, that was the first. That was the, that was one, the, that was the one that was album my parents
2: everything. ever bought me. Right. Was Raising Hell uh, by Run DMC. But basically, for me, I never heard anything besides "Mama Said Knock You Out" doing it, and there's like a few other songs. And so, from what, to be honest, honestly, from what I really only know about LL Cool J is that he says he's the greatest rapper alive.
0: You know what? What? It's he's not. He's not wrong. He really is. You know, he, let me liken it to you in today's terms. Please, LL Cool J was what Drake is today, but 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 uh, on a different level, on a more real hip hop level. It was that big. Uh, well, here's the thing: every uh, you look at Drake and you look at LL. Chicks love both of them. Um, guys can't stand the, to look at them, and always talk shit about them. But guys love the music too. Yeah. And other rappers would always take shots at both of them, and they would always lose. It's the same with Drake and LL. It's the same. It's a very similar scenario. So is this? The, so LL Cool J, when this came out, this is one of the. This is like one of the biggest artists. Well, out at that at time, time. We, you know, we weren't sure what was going to happen after the radio album. What do you mean with hip hop in general? No, with with LL, we were like, okay, that was a good album. It was a really great album, and then you know everybody had the sophomore flop usually. Yeah, most artists do. Um, Mind you, in the '80s, was kind of lucky. I mean, Run-D.M.C. followed up the Run-D.M.C. album with King of Rock, and then followed it up with Raising Hell, and then they had their fourth album was a little weak sauce. But the first three, killer. Then LL follows up Radio with Bigger and Deffer, and that was an amazing album. Which I listened to on the way here
2: because I wanted to see the evolution (laughs) from this. Because this, what I got from this, I was just expecting more on the beat sides. This was about as minimalistic... What are you talking about? From radio? Well, just from radio. Well, yeah, Yeah. because
0: you got to understand, it was a time where the beats were very minimalistic. People were just learning how to work drum machines. So it was all... And it was almost that Def Jam sound was that beat. You listen to Run DMC stuff, it had that same... But
2: just even not even just the beats, it was just like... The idea that he's calling him the greatest himself, the greatest rapper of all time. He wasn't time. at that time. And yet. I know because the rhymes—that's the shit that like how white people rap now, when oh, like yeah. when they're doing like a company party, they're like, "All right, guys, Tina's retiring. Well, we are here to say to you, oh, yeah. we're gonna miss you. Boo hoo hoo." And right. that it's very like bare bones. And I just as I LL-
0: see LL had already gone past that way of doing it. You know, he had songs that were similar to that, you know, cadence. But when he would do stuff like <coughs> Dear Event, Oh, my God. He was telling stories. No, I understand that he's telling stories. Listen, I'm not putting
2: this down at all. And, like, and
0: Rock the Bells I, was killer.
2: Rock the Bells is a great song. Like, let's dive into the record, okay? So it opens with I Can't Live Without My Radio. Love that uh, Peter, play minute three, second 50. I love the intense sounds of the drums in this part. The song in itself, though, is pretty repetitive, but it is good. Um, Along with with Ruben and his DJ cut creator, LL used the 808 drum machine to form the basis for this track. Mixing a guitar scratch sample from the ACDC song Flick the Switch and some synth from the song Rockin' in My Pocket by Sharon.
0: Sharoni. Sharoni.
2: Beats from the Trouble Funk song, Saturday Night in the Park, were also sampled on this track. And this song actually made it up to 15
0: on the billboard. And a very important part of this record, I Can't Live Without My Radio, is uh, the part where it says, Cuck Creator, rock the beat with your hands. That, rock the beat, right there, became a DJ staple to scratch with. Oh, really? Yes. So
2: people have just cut that out, and that's been... Rock, 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 rock
0: the beat 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 and then they would like they break it down then the pop and they would and people would cut so all this, of that yeah, back so this yeah so
2: not just being that this is the first song on his album this is also a huge part of hip hop history It's just a very important part it's a
0: very important song for DJs see LL's music was really instrumental for DJs because his voice was so had that pitch that tone that
1: No necessary. Void.
3: Hey everyone, this is Tuck from Fit for a King in Off Road Minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Mods to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course, provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media.
2: Well, the boombox was a big part of the 80s hip-hop scene. This is the lead single from this record, written by L.L. and Rick Rubin. It's talking about how he can't live without his radio. What is
0: something that you can't live without? My turntables. Really? Really. You do that every day? Not every day, but I like to know that they're there. Just out of everything that you owe, knowing that the turntables are knowing nice and if safe? The turn, honestly, if I, like, say, let's say I go three weeks without touching them. If they weren't here, I would have been going crazy really yeah like where the fuck are they i need
2: to yeah. I, I, well i saw that i saw the the smile that suddenly hit your face when you were like yo man check this out and then you put it down and it's just like because it's so much fun it's like i have my guitar laying around it's exactly and same i can pick it up and like we can just dick around all right so so obviously playing music has been something really important to you when did you get your first real boombox
0: um i mean i got my first boombox so i must have been in seventh or eighth grade but it wasn't a really i mean to me it was a real one at the time i think it was a uh, Sanyo was the brand. Sanyo's great. <laughs> I had a Sanyo. It's Sanyo
2: boombox.
0: That was their uh, their catchphrase. <laughs> <laughs> and I uh, I remember playing. I had my Sanyo, and I thought I was the shit with that thing. And my brother in 1979 got a JVC RCM70, and that was a killer boombox right there.
2: I had a, uh, my dad bought me a little tape player, like literally the same kind of tape recording. The one that
0: with the handle that pulls out? The one with the handle, the
2: same shit that brought down Nixon, dude. That was yeah. my first like real boombox. I would listen to like Iron Maiden, Guns N' Roses. I would turn it up as loud as it could. Oh my God. And now I have Sonos speakers everywhere, which that's I hilarious. assume you have something like that as well. You probably um, have music in every I ha- room. I have
0: it all built into the roof. I can just play it off the phone. Yeah, that's what I figured.
2: As part of this song was in the film Crush Groove, which was based on the rise of Def Jam and featured many up-and-coming hip-hop artists like Run DMC and the Fat Boys. LL, as we talked about, was seen in an audition scene and has one line, and it's actually just one word. What does he say? Do you know? He says, box. Oh, yeah, yeah, when he walks in. So I've actually read did that Did you y- see the movie? I haven't seen it. But I'm gonna yeah, watch it's it. It's literally
0: like uh, Sheila E's in the movie and Rendy MC's in the movie, Curtis Blow's in the movie. It's everybody. And they had um Blair Underwood playing Russell Simmons. Yep. <laughs> That's what I read. <laughs>
2: but I've also read that you took up boxing because you were bullied in school I sure was, about your ethnicity. Yeah. It
0: was how very-
2: how bad did that get and and how serious did you take boxing after that?
0: Uh, I was bullied a lot. Like the in Canada, growing up in the 70s and 80s, the worst, lowest form of human being you could have been was an Indian person. Why did they have like beef? Just, I don't know. Well, clearly they didn't have beef. <laughs> 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 um, no, I don't know what it was, dude. It was this really, it was this trickle down racism from England that had come over to Canada, and um, it was literally they really didn't. It was like indiscriminate discrimination. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you were brown. They didn't give a fuck. It was like, fuck you, Packy. And it wasn't like they would take into consideration that you were a child. And they didn't take into consideration that they were an adult. Yeah. It was literally like like when I, you know, watch the civil rights things. People go, you don't know what it was like. I'm like, yeah, actually, I do know what the fuck it was like because I dealt with the exact same thing. Um, Being a five-year-old boy on a bicycle riding around my neighborhood. And there was a guy, an older white man watering his lawn. And I... There was a stop sign in front of his house. And I don't know, I felt like following the rules of the road. So I stopped at the stop sign and he was watering his lawn. and I looked at him and I said, hi. And he fucking sprayed me with his hose and said, get the fuck out of here, Packy. How old were you? Five. He Jesus was a grown Christ. man with a with, with wife and two kids.
2: Jesus, man. Yeah. So how did, so so like did something happen that made you take up boxing? Oh well, yeah, no, like I that, would get yes, that. But I mean, Stuff like that. But, you
0: would get bullied wherever you went. People would spit on you. They would kick you, punch you, slap you, scratch you, whatever. Yeah. They'd verbally abuse you, physically abuse you. They would, it got to the point where I was in high school, and I, 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 left, I went to this one high school for two years, and I hated it. I left every day miserable, depressed, crying a lot. And then I got kicked out of that high school because my grades were so bad. And when I went to the other school, which was considered a much more tough school, uh, like, a, like a lot of tough kids went to that school because it was a, kind of a bad school, Yeah. Um, I immediately said I'm not gonna let that happen to me here. And my dad said, "Go learn how to box." And one of my friends that I grew up with was a uh, boxer, and he was a really good boxer. So my dad said, "Go with Willie, go learn how to fight." And my dad used to box in India, so I went with Willie to learn how to box. And I was terrible at first. At first, horrible. Took me a long time to get it. Yeah. But once I got it, I was like, "Oh, this is this is it. That's all you had to do." Yes. Just punch the bully in the (laughs) face. I didn't know it was that simple. You just learn how to stand up to bullies. And you realize that the bullies weren't shit. Did you know? did Did you get to use that? That uh, I, used the a little bit. Yeah, I used it a little what bit. used a little What was yeah. the first
2: time you being able to use it, and how'd that go down?
0: Um, I think I was in. It was at the the rough school, and every time I would walk down the hall, there was one kid that used to he used to call me a faggot every time he'd see me. It's a I, normal
2: thing you call,
0: how old are you? I was uh, 16. <laughs> it's a normal thing 16-year-olds say. I'd walk down the hallway, hey, faggot. And I'm like, Shut the f- f- who the fuck are you talking to? And I was like, stop it. Stop telling me that. And every time I'd him, hey, faggot. And then I was going to the bathroom one time in, in class, in between classes. like class I was in, and I went yeah. down the hall, and it was just me and him in the hallway. And he goes, hey, faggot. And as soon as he said it, I threw him against the locker room. Pop! And I punched him right in his ribs, and I broke his ribs. Really? And all he heard was, and he collapsed and then uh he never called you that again never called me that again <laughs> what did he what did he call you after that no then the principal called me down after <laughs> yeah. that the principal called me down <laughs> then i got into another fight later on that in that year and i this guy was making fun of me cuz my girlfriend in high school broke up with me and i was kind of bummed about it and i remember he was a bigger guy and i grabbed him by his shirt and i remember when i grabbed him by his shirt i heard a shirt rip and in my head i went holy shit, this guy's going to kick your ass. Cause yeah, he just cause ripped he just, his shirt. He just fucked up his Poloella shirt. No, it was, nobody had that kind of money. <laughs> and, but I, I, as soon as I did it, I don't know why I got the strength from, but I lifted him up and I threw him, and his head hit the wall and his leg hit the fucking uh, stairwell. And he was like, look oh, at your problem. And I was like, that's right, don't mess with me. And I walked up the stairs going, holy shit, did I just dodge a bullet. <laughs> I never, never once back then was I like, man, I'm a badass. I was like, man, how did I get through that? I think any fight I got in high school, I always felt like I just survived it. Uh,
2: even if I didn't, like I remember there were a lot of just ones where, you know, we start talking shit and then we would start circling each other. And it was just my hope that somebody would just stop us like a teacher would run out before yeah. we
0: actually threw any punches. Um, do you still box today? Uh, no, I do jujitsu now. I've been to jitsu three years now. How, uh, how have you ever had to use that? I have jujitsu yeah. wait isn't
2: there a video of you like rescuing somebody at, like yeah, I a jewelry stopped, store yeah, it was in february of this year wait tell me about it what I was, <laughs> I was at my
0: friend's jewelry store in new york city and um it was like a couple of days before valentine's day so i was in there looking at stuff for my girlfriend yeah and uh i was standing just wasting time i was kind of hanging out and i was standing near the door looking at some stuff and this guy was sitting down to my right looking at like this some three hundred thousand dollar ring and he gets up and he decides he wants to bolt out the store. But the door's right behind me. And when he gets up, they immediately lock all the doors. So he's not going anywhere now. So now he's stuck in. Yeah, he goes to the door and he, he checks in. He's locked in. Now I just turn around. And he's literally standing like right shoulder to shoulder with me. And I'm looking at him and I'm thinking, I'm thinking to myself, what the hell are you going to do now? You're literally locked in this store. And now you look like an idiot, and I'm like, it's not—it's my friend's store, so I, I can't get involved too much because it's not my store. Now I don't know what your protocol is in this situation, yes. right? I go, do they have guns? I don't know what's going to happen. So I'm like, I'm just looking at him, and then I, I'm like, oh, oh, my head! I'm like, what the fuck's going to happen? And then my friend's father goes, hey, give me back the fucking ring, and he goes to get the ring, and the guy takes a swing at my friend's father, and that's when I jumped in. I'm like, no, nah, you gotta take a swing at the old man, buddy. So what did you do? You just—I went, you didn't I went to go, I went to get a, in a chokehold, but the. When the other guys from the store grabbed him and tried to pull him down, but the other guys didn't know what they were doing. And I'm like, if they had not grabbed him, I would just put him in a chokehold. It would have been over much quicker. Put him in a goddamn tiger claw. No, or I, was, I was going to put him in a rear naked choke. And then. Uh, put him in a. But bear- I had a long sleeve hey, shirt. Did you say you were going to put him in
2: a bare naked
0: lady's? Re- re- in a uh, rear naked
2: choke. <laughs> you have
0: to, that's where you choke him and you go,
2: yeah, it's been one week since you looked at me.
0: And then I tell him, Enid, we never knew each other. Um. So then we tussle, tussle, and then I get his arm and his wrist and I lock it up. And as soon as I locked his arm in an arm bar, he goes, OK, because <laughs> I had it in. It was like tap. And he was like, OK, uh, I could have broken it in half if I had wanted to. Did they give you a
2: discount after that? They kind of did. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah, dude. All right. You can't dance. Is the next song on this record? Uh, this was
0: my least, one of my least favorite songs on the record. I found
2: it to be hilarious. I, it, it, I, I think it
0: was a joke song, to be is, honest with you.
2: This is a silly diss track about those that are really, really bad at dancing. Uh, some sample lyrics Hey, man, I've seen you. Think you're rocking it on the floor. You look like a moron. Who lets you in the door? To put the you question. You can't dance. Yeah, dude. To put the Anybody question. Anyone ever tell you that? To put the question bluntly, maybe your feet's deformed. They should slap you in the teeth when you put your dancing shoes on. You can't dance. Best part about the song, Russell, is the breakbeat that they play in the chorus. Peter, play the chorus so we can hear the breakbeat. So you can dance. You said I used you, to uh, be wait, able to right, dance. So you I think so, those days are long behind. Tell me, me
0: tell me about like your, your foray into breakdancing. Uh for me it was I saw Flash Dance and I saw a Rocksteady crew doing a windmill with She's
3: them. a Madison girl on a Saturday night. Do you
0: remember do you remember there was a scene?
2: No, I I did I barely I was like four dude when that came out. Oh yeah it was Flash like, Dance didn't resonate with me. No. I get it, because she's very sexy, but it wasn't my kind of thing.
0: There was I, a scene where she's walking through the street and the New York City breakers, I, it was, I think Rock City crew and or New York City breakers were breakdancing in front of her. I go, what the fuck is that? And how can I do that? How I, good were you? I wasn't.
2: Can you do the head spin thing?
0: No, I never did head spins. I was more of a, I, I, I was a stand-up guy and I did like a bit of a shuffle, a backspin, windmill. Um, but I got my windmill down after breakdancing It kind of died And I was like, fuck, what am I going to do with this? It's never died I used to go to raves and people would get into breakdancing Yeah, but it kind of made a revival in the 90s But like in 85, you were kind of a dick if you were still doing it Really? I oh, was like, man. come on, I still love this Dude, thing
2: I, I got the cardboard down I'm like, Come on <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> why, why but I break? was still
0: secretly practicing in my basement It's you know? great I always got so impressed by people that could breakdance Do you have any video of you doing it? No, I have a <laughs> picture of me I won, a break da- I won a couple of breakdancing competitions back in the day. This is all in Toronto? Yeah.
2: Hey, so we got another pop and locker over here.
0: And, uh, <laughs> and then I got paid to
2: dance a couple of times. All right, well, the song features a sample of Apache by the incredible Bongo Band, which is unofficially known as a hip-hop anthem due to its appearance on so many songs. And speaking of extensive hip-hop credentials, uh, you are actually the producer... Of the incredibly informative Netflix documentary series "Hip Hop Evolution," I am exactly the executive producer, and you even won a Peabody Award and an Emmy. International, though well, it's international. It's I got it written. Right Is there. it, an international, it Emmy. international? I don't give a shit. I've got Emmy an Emmy, buddy. It's in the other room, <laughs> and a
0: Peabody. How did that become a passion project for you, and like, and how did that get started? A buddy of mine in Toronto named Darby Wheeler, a good friend of mine. He he's a dorky white guy. He's going to hate me for calling him a dork. I'm not a fucking dorky white guy. All white people are dorky. <laughs> um, but he hit me up. He's was like, hey, I want to do a documentary about hip-hop. And I go, okay. And he goes, but I really want it to be extensive, and I want it to be real, and I want to get all the information. I go, well, as a hip-hop fan, I would like to be a part of that because I've seen too many documentaries that were fluff pieces, that were shit, that didn't really cover anything. He goes, exactly. And that's why I want to do it. I said, I'm in. And then I have a lot of relationships with people who you cannot get interviews with. And I got him interviews with him. I remember
2: remember one of my favorite memories of of knowing you was the goddamn Comedy Jam in Montreal, (laughs) where first, the night before, you threw your own Russell Peters party of like Naughty by Nature. Uh, Help me out, because I know it it was (laughs) was Melly (coughs) Mel. Naughty by Nature,
0: Melly Mel. um, uh, Nice and Smooth. Uh, Lisa, Lisa and the Culture. Not the Culture, I'm just Lisa Lisa. Uh Uh-huh um uh positive k which um, one's positive k i can't uh,
2: live without my yo-yo no, no positive <laughs> K yo-yo. is uh,
0: uh what's your man got to do with me oh, I got a man me. I'm not trying to hear that see yeah, you threw like a whole party It was called the mixtape live you threw a whole
2: party yes, it was and I remember I see it on my from my hotel room. there were so many people there were probably like, like 20 thousand people like twenty thousand people also now while we're talking about hip hop evolving. What do you think about the state of new hip hop and trap now? right now? Yeah.
0: I, I don't think about it at all. It, here's the problem. <clears throat> hip hop has, rap music has separated itself from hip hop now. And if you are a rapper, it doesn't necessarily mean you are a hip hop person. Um, what I'm saying is a lot of these young kids don't know anything about what happened before them. Because here's the problem. That's my Michael Rapport on, and he said the same thing: is that they don't. You could ask them who Wu Tang is, and they'd be like, "Huh?" Yeah, they literally don't know, and they don't care. They're a very disrespectful generation. Um, you know, it doesn't mean you need to like what we did, but you need to unknow it and and respect it, because without what we did, you don't have what you do. Yeah, and and I also feel like the minute it left New York, I didn't really want to hear much about it anymore. When when did he, the, what, minute, the minute it started to go south, literally south, I was like, I don't know. This doesn't resonate really, with Really? So you never got into Outkast? No. I like Outkast. Don't get me wrong. Because
2: I still consider that's, that's still hip-hop,
0: though. Oh, yeah. No, mean, no, no. no here's, the like, Here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. There was a lot of artists f- from the south who kept it hip-hop. And from all over the place, that kept it hip-hop. But there was a deterioration happening. And much like back in the day, if you were to uh, copy a cassette for somebody... If you were to copy a cassette from a copied cassette, it would be a worse generation copy than it was before that. Yeah. Until eventually, it would fade out to nothing, and that's basically what we've done now. We've copied the master cassette from other cassettes to the point where it doesn't. It, it's not clear anymore.
2: Yeah, that's a good way to put it. It, it's, it doesn't really, it doesn't, listen, the, the idea of still making hip hop beats, I still believe in that. And I still think that exists because like some of the beats are just as good. The listening to Rick Rubin's production and then listening to like, you know, Mike will made it or some dude that I used to play at the strip club. Like I could appreciate the beat, but there was an art form with the
0: MC, the <coughs> idea a, that they were that, you know, and I mean, you know it cause you, it was you, about. Being able to say something. Yes. Oh. And and they don't say anything they anymore. They
2: don't say anything Any, Have you seen, there's a video on on Worldstar and all these different places of this new MC named Haysha Boy. And he's like, he's doing a freestyle
0: rap. Oh, and he just does his he ad does, libs? Like, he's just like.
2: <laughs> I saw me, that. You make me believe, hey I And mean, he was like,
0: I'm just going to do my ad libs. And yeah. I'm Yeah. Like,
2: it, i mean that's that. literally what he's doing and here's the funniest thing is that like it's a lot of people are are shitting on it and then a lot of people love it it's i'm mean, to be honest with it, you i probably watched it over a hundred times i kind of do love it now but i start, well, it's started kind of like that
0: guy <laughs> in england who was doing that remember that one it was like quick maths ba he was doing that before this kid was doing it. Yeah, know. but this
2: guy's freestyle, I've never heard anything like it. I mean, Yeah, I, it's I, terrible. I well, cause my as, as a hip-hop purist, I'm, for, I'm insulted dude, and hurt listen, by it. I don't I don't know if I really consider myself a purist, but I do I dude, I got into hip-hop uh first it was like Snoop Doggy Dog and then it became Tribe Called Quest, and then Public Enemy, well Public Enemy before all that. But then it evolved where it really became, you know, I started, you know, like uh Fucking like we were talking about J5 earlier, and, and Wu Tang Clan was one of the biggest obsessions of my life. And I never was a huge Biggie fan or what? Tupac fan. I just, dude, I just, I was a Wu Tang fan. I, I, was I love Wu Tang, but, but Biggie, was, Biggie was my number one. I felt that you couldn't listen to anything but Wu Tang. Have you watched you the Wu Tang
0: documentary on Showtime? No,
2: but I'm going to watch it this yeah. weekend because I'm so excited. And then my, my other appreciation for hip hop came, well, not per- appreciation, but really where it was forced into my life was when I DJ'd at the strip club. So I was getting the beginning of that like mumble rap. I was getting the beginning of that fucking you know the like it's just it's it's I always call it like a strip hop. It was just mu- it was
0: music that was made. To well, that's just exactly throw, what it was and, to throw dollars on girls, and that was fine as far as it stayed there. But then it became somehow became mainstream, and I'm like, no, this is not. This was never good. Yeah. This was never good. And, it, and, you know, I, I, I've often said this, but in 1997, when Universal Music gave Cash Money Millionaires a $30 million deal, at that very moment in 1997, at 27 years old, I said, this is white America paying black America to dumb it down. And it, I said, all you got to do now is be dumber than those guys. And that's where we're at now. 20, think, 22 this- years later... It, we are in a place where it is it it's, completely it's, ignorant.
2: It's idiocracy in hip-hop. It's, it's Mike Judge's <clears throat> movie come to life. So you honestly think that when Cash Money came out, that was the dumbing down of,
0: of No, what? when they got a $30 million deal. It was fine that Cash Money was making money and, and doing it out of their car and however they were doing it, grassroots style. But when, when Universal Music went, here's $30 million, I was like, what the fuck are you, what are you doing? These are not the guys. These are not the guys to do this with. At the time it was ninety seven, we had DMX, we had we had Capone and Oriega, we had yeah. you know, we had Wu Tang, we had all these great artists. Great And artist. you're just throwing money at these fucking like the fuck out of they here. What knew, are you doing? They knew
2: that sound. That was the beginning. That was the beginning no, of what we have now.
0: Yeah, but that's exactly what I'm saying. They fucked us. Yeah. They they threw a bunch of money at a bunch of dumb guys. I I, I say dumb in a respectful I no, way. I, I
2: understand. It's just not the hip hop. Like, it's like Michael Rapport said, I keep bringing him up because he was so passionate about it. It was just like, he likes his hip hop served raw.
0: Yeah. And I, I, I like my hip hop from people who love hip hop. Yeah. And, and you know, th- these were guys that were making their version of hip hop from new Orleans, which was great for new Orleans. Still speaking
2: their truth though. Still
0: speaking their truth. And I had no problem with that. It wasn't for me. wasn't for me, but When they threw thirty million at them and not like artists that really deserve thirty million dollars, I was like, "Something is fucking wrong here." Some white man has figured out a way. I know how to. I know how to make the next generation of black people dumb, and that's exactly what the fuck he did. Do you think it's going to implode? It has to implode. There's no way anybody can tolerate this much stupidity for this long. Yeah. It, it it gets to a fever pitch where you're like, all right, enough. I need... I My brain is going numb. Yeah, it's so bad. It's so bad. All right. Like Eminem's album last year, Kamikaze, fucking incredible album. An amazing album. Got no airplay anywhere. Got no love. But to me, one of the best hip-hop albums I've heard in at least the past 15 years.
2: Yeah. All
0: right. Dear Yvette. Dear uh, Yvette. <laughs> this chorus is horrible. Peter, play it.
2: Dear
3: like you was my distant because i'm not a news reporter i don't mean to assume what should i think i seen you coming out the this bathroom you wasn't in there alone wasn't using
0: the phone the door was locked for 20 minutes all i heard was moans Oh my God! All right, it was not a good chorus. It's definitely it's one of the worst <clears throat> choruses of all. But time But the lyrics made me laugh.
2: Yes, right, so it's hysterical. This rap is about LL writing a letter to a female named Yvette. She's telling he's telling her that she needs to change her ways and not be so sexually active, as it's destroying her reputation as a woman. These are my favorite lyrics. I don't really know if it's I don't really know if the story is so. I can neither ask Curly or oh, Larry or, or Moe Mo or Earl, Shabazz, Lou, Mookie or Joe, like Santa Claus said, Yo, You're uh, a ho, ho ho
0: ho. That was dope. It's the beginning of slut shaming. But here here's an interesting thing about this song you may not know. Go ahead. A record came out right after that by a girl named Yvette Money. And it was a diss track back to LL. Wait, so
2: was he writing this about her?
0: No, but here's what here's what you got to know before that. Um, it was Roxanne, Roxanne. And then there was a, a song um, by the real Roxanne and then Roxanne Shantae, which spawned all these diss tracks that were back and forth between men and women. So, Wait, so
2: was the police's song Roxanne a disc No, track? no, 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 no. From <laughs> UTFO. It sounds like a disc track. The
0: Untouchable Force Organization. Okay. <laughs> uh, UTFO wrote a song called Roxanne, Roxanne, and then there was a real Roxanne, and then Roxanne and Shantae, and they all came back, and then there was Sparky D, and then there was Roxanne's Revenge. It started this whole movement in 84, and then cut to... Um, LL does Dear Yvette, and then this girl named Yvette Money does a record coming back at LL. And it was funny because growing up in Toronto, a lot of the black, most of the black community is West Indian, if, and a lot of Jamaicans. So Yvette Money, I was obviously Jamaican because the start of a record was, um, who the fuck are you? This little blood clot boy I want come tell me about. And I'm like, oh shit. And then she did a song, Yvette, Yvette's Revenge. And it all started with this. Yeah. Good for good for LL. You should you start find, and, uh, what's prefer, the guy's name, Peter? Is, uh, Peter, yeah, Peter. Peter you play. need to find Yvette, Yvette's revenge. Peter, Yvette money.
2: play a little bit of Yvette's revenge real quick. I really don't. All right, well, like we said, this is about a promiscuous girl. Now, have you ever had to deal with someone someone else's
0: or even your own promiscuity de- ruining a relationship? Um, I'm living proof of this, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> you just meant my son? <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I've been on the straight and narrow, so I, uh, it's easier for me to talk about it. It's, also easier for, it's actually a lot easier while you're in a relationship to be on the straight and narrow. Yeah. Um, I don't have to like, you know, worry about, oh shit, did I, have I, would I, uh, who's that person? You know what I mean? I'm, it's, it's a lot easier as far as your nerves go. Yeah. Um, But we don't get enough credit for all the vagina we refuse. Like to them, to a woman, because, you know, dick's being thrown at them from the day they're fucking able to catch dick. Yeah. Like, um, 15, 16 years old Yeah, remember. like it's just It's just literally There's dicks all around And uh, um, But we don't get I don't get We don't get any credit For like Being like You should have seen The one that was just Hitting me up That I didn't do Or didn't engage Or didn't do anything about But you can't do that Because like Well who the fuck is that bitch And then it becomes another problem You're like no no I'm just trying to We're trying to get a pat on the back For doing the right thing it, But, it's, yeah, but it's, you it's, can't really get the pat on the back For that because I mean that'd you're be dope. If you, do-
2: that, that would be dope if you could, <laughs> honey. Do you understand? Like ten women tried to fuck me. Yeah, tonight, like there was. There, I'm here with you. Just seeing
0: how hot the chick was, you know. Uh,
2: are you the kind of person who can tell somebody frankly how you're feeling, though, in a relationship? I,
0: no, I'm not. I'm a comic. I say it on stage quite easily, and in, in personal, you know, private time, I am. I try, but I'm not good at articulating certain emotions or feelings or or. I may say it too bluntly or I may say it in a joking tone so I don't know I'm not good in those situations. Has that like uh helped or hurt your relationships? Oh, it probably hurt every yeah. single one of them. But I think as comics we're uh naturally saboteurs when it comes to relationships. I mean, you're speaking the
2: truth to me right now. I feel like I've ruined every good relationship that I've had. Yeah. All right. I can give you more. Can you? I love how dark this song is when it's about a girl And uh, I love the piano twinkles Peter, play the opening of the song
3: I seen this girl walking down the block I said, wait Yo, baby, you want to come to my crib? Have some donuts and milk? Listen to a pop tune, baby please be his ex and be my bride don't blame it on yourself sweet thing you tried love you claim to share just wasn't there you're too good for that and it wasn't fair love's taking its toll your heart your soul you was fooled by the face of a phony role but i'll take up the slack support you baby now Nime-
2: This sounds like Wu-Tang to me.
0: I can give you more. Just
2: it's it sounds so, so some rap historians cite this song as the genre's first ever ballad. It would be later be eclipsed by a much more famous LL song, I need love. And they're saying this is why ladies love cool James. And also keep this in mind, he is sixteen, maybe seventeen at the time that he wrote this. Uh I just love that that little ending line to every verse. It's yes, girl. I never met anyone like you before, and I can give you more.
0: <laughs> How were you with ladies when you were sixteen, seventeen years Awful. old? Awful. I was the worst, and I would get my feelings hurt constantly. Were you just bad at talking to them? I no. You know what it was? I used to put my heart right out there. Really? I thought it was like nice to be like honest. Like, hey, I,
2: I like know. you. I see you in, in at recess. Not recess I see you at the lunchroom Every I, day
0: I, You know I would get a I remember one time I got a, had a crush on this girl I was in I think I was in ninth grade She was in 10th grade Or I was in 10th grade She was in 11th Whatever it was She was one grade above me And her name was Carla Hill And I remember I had this I don't know why I had this crush on her Because she was really cute And she was really nice And she was an elf At the mall During Sa- Christmas time At yeah. Santa's thing and I just remember And she was always nice With a smile and people weren't nice to me back then. So if somebody was nice, I was like, oh, my God, this must be a good person. And I was like, I'm looking for good people in my life. And uh, and I started getting like this really decent crush on her. And I used to write these little notes like, I would kill for Carla Hill and stuff like that. And like, <laughs> Carla Hill, a, I'd write like her name. with Instead of an A, I'd put hearts. And, you know, Did you like, have a lot of classes with her? Or? No, I had no classes with her. So but just, but I would see her in the mall, and she'd be like, hi. And I'm like, hey. And then uh, one time I was just like, I'm, I don't know, I gave her those notes. And, and then, and I was like, she was like, "Oh, so cute." And then, and then I was in the lunchroom. And Then these two fucking like preppy white guys were like, "Hey, would you kill for Carla Hill, fucking loser?" Aww. And I was crushed. <laughs> I was fucking crushed. Oh god! That's and the then worst. I remember I looked. I never looked at her, I looked at her or said anything to ever again. Oh. I was just like, "Fuck you, bitch." That's what you did. You know what she's doing now? She's probably an elf again. She's probably, she's probably <laughs> Santa Claus now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: Uh, I remember there was a girl, Heather Rogowski, I asked out Polak. every, she was Polish, very, very cute. Uh, I asked her out almost, I'd say, if not every week, every other week for one whole year. I think it was eighth grade. I asked that girl out and she turned me down every time. And funniest thing, this is wild, I haven't thought about this in years. So I went to a rave. When I was twenty years old in Baltimore, and I get I like there, the
0: people from Baltimore say Baltimore, Baltimore,
2: Baltimore, and I see Heather there. You know, we're both eighteen, we're both nineteen, twenty years old now, and she is with a guy, and she sees me. Dude, I was a very cute raver, by the way. I mean, yeah. I had like frosted tips, I had like the best big pants on, the the ball necklace. Were you, you know, doing
0: the? Uh were you doing the ketamine? Yeah. Oh, dance the, or- with the, ball? the, the fake orb? Ball? Oh, yeah, dude. I was an orb what the fuck dancer. was that? I don't
2: know, dude. I do liquid with my fingers. I did all that shit. And I remember she had a boyfriend. She saw me and she was all about me. And then uh, later that night, I went and had sex with her. And so, you know, that's a great story. And that was the greatest, like, turning around. Because I wasn't great with girls when I was 16, 17, uh, because not because they didn't like me or I wasn't cute. It was because I had such bad ADD that I was just, it was just, I didn't, I, had, I didn't have any filters, so I would, I would talk my way out of, out of pussy or whatever. Oh, I'm with you. Why do ladies love
0: Cool Russell today? Uh, cool Russell now has got money, so it's a lot easier to love me. <laughs> okay, well, how do when you? When you have money and nice, shiny things, people, uh, people tend to like you better. But how can you
2: find out somebody genuinely likes
0: you, not just because of what you provide? I mean initially it'll start with that It's the same with uh, good looking women Initially you're there because they're pretty Then you find out if they're nice or not I, I got lucky You know my girlfriend's a very sweet girl um, She's very beautiful but she's very sweet And, she's, and she takes care of me now and, and that's nice Yeah. So I mean she doesn't have to do half the shit she does But she does So that lets me know that she's there for more than something else No you know I mean? get it I get it <laughs>
3: It's not just the list of what I'm up to this weekend. I'm comedian Kiki Anderson, and those are just a handful of the taboo topics I've poked and prodded at so far on my podcast, Indecent, the show where we peel at the wallpaper of polite society. Each episode digs into the dark underbelly of our culture to dissect the things we aren't allowed to talk about around the dinner table, featuring conversations with comedians, activists, journalists, academics. They all help me figure out the who, what, and why behind what is and isn't acceptable behavior. Indecent with Kiki Anderson, where NSFW meets LMAO. Uh, so, all right,
2: so so speaking of, uh, of what you can provide, let's talk about it in a different way. So when you do get down, what is your go-to
0: sexy music soundtrack? What do you fucking that, do? Here's the problem now with that, is that I'm 48, 49 years old. <laughs> I, I like all that stuff, but I can't play that. I don't want them to. Re- I don't want them to remember I'm an old guy. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what do you? So what I are just you... put the TV on? Hope for the movies. <laughs> 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 I don't put on music because I think it's a little cheesy now. Um. You know what's funny is I remember one time. What'd you do? Years, you had a, you used to have a mixtape. I mean, yeah, all the time. But the sex I remember years tape. ago, this girl came over. and She wanted me to take her virginity, and I was like, awesome. And I remember I put on the New York Undercover soundtrack from the TV show. They had a soundtrack that came out. For New York Undercover, and I put it on, and I took her virginity to this, and then I remember I made her a copy of the CD before she left. <laughs> what the fuck, dude? I said, I said, you might want to remember. I said, that. Uh, "Here, here's a soundtrack to your virginity." <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> what a fucking douchebag! Just ignore the what?
2: the few songs at the end, though. I just I just threw those <laughs> on They're from a piece different the Shit, I am.
0: But she really she asked
2: for it. She was like. Do you think I get a copy of that? Yeah, well, she, oh, you didn't tell me that. That changes everything. That yeah, I know, like, but
0: I was like, yeah, no problem. I was like, so proud to do it. I'm like, here's a little something for you to take home with you. That's lady. fucking dope, dude. <laughs> uh, the first first time I ever touched
2: uh, a girl's titties, it were Noelle Lemire's. I did it at camp, and it was we were making out to the New Jack City soundtrack. Wow. And it gives me—it was the new Jack Hustler. But, but see, it started with "I wanna set That's you right. up," me, and then it went to New Jack, New, new Jack, Jack, New Jack Hustler. New Another brother won the Hustler of the Year award. All right, that takes us into Dangerous. Now, I like
0: this song, and think, I'll tell you a funny thing about this song please. too. Um, when I was first started, when I was in my early career of DJ, I started DJing in '85. I think it was around '87. I decided I wanted to try and get a DJ name, and I thought I was going to call myself Danger Russ a Good name, and then I remember I used to scratch well, I didn't dangerous. Even think about that dangerous, yeah. yeah. And I would be like, Danger Russ, I'd break it down, Danger Russ, Dangerous, Dangerous, Dangerous. Russ, Danger Russ. <laughs> but I was like, it didn't sound clean <laughs> at the time, but I was like, eh, it would have been a good name. I should have stuck with, it. Name, stuck that's, with that's, it.
2: That's a great DJ name, dude. That's that's dude. We're we're making dangerous, uh. T-shirts. I love this song because I do love the cutting, uh, and that's all done by Cut Creator uh, Lil Cool J's DJ. Now, back in the 80s, it was common for rap albums to have one song about how great the DJ was, and this is LL's. It's only fair because the rapper probably spends about nine tracks talking about his own
0: greatness. And the DJ never gets to speak for themselves. So well, the- everybody knew Cut Creator because he always shouted out Cut Creator. Cut Creator, rock, and Cut Creator with the record, and Cut Creator, and Cut Creator. And then, you know, the funny, really funny thing is, by the time he got to Bigger and Deafer, he had Cut Creator still, but he had Bobcat. Bobcat was the really ill DJ. Bobcat Goldthwait? No, No, this is DJ Bobcat, (laughs) and he was, like, really dope with the cuts. He would do all these really intricate cuts that Cut Creator couldn't do. But LL, showing his loyalty, didn't want to get rid of Cut Creator, so he kept Cut Creator and added Bobcat. That's fucking dope, man. That makes me fucking love L even more.
2: Yeah. What, I, what I love is that, you know, the DJs back then didn't put their name on everything. Do you know what I mean? Like, not like now where it's like, you know, DJ Kelly. Yeah,
0: no, no. That, that, that's because it, it, nobody knew where the beats were coming. Nobody cared where the beats were coming from back then. And um, also, we got into a, a time where we were sampling a lot, so nobody could really. Yeah, but it's just, I do kind of like. The rapper would shout out the producer of the song. They as they should,
2: <clears throat> as they should. But what I'm saying is it's just the you know, it's only only in new hip hop do they do
0: that. That would have been funny if it's, like it's, if it's like, in a different. <laughs> you like, know, the, we were egocentric in a braggadocious way. These guys are egocentric in a very egotistical way. Yes, very. But I would love to see like like every
2: producer like they had to do that on one of their songs. So it would be like the Beatles like, Yesterday, George Martin. All right, Peter, play minute to second thirty nine. <laughs> Now, you came up as a DJ in Toronto in the '80s and became quite successful. So, what started that obsession for you?
0: For me, for DJing, it was uh, it was just a, w- wanting to learn how to do those cuts and scratches and juggles and all that stuff. And then mixing became the next thing. It was like, oh, you got to mix too. You got to learn how to mix. I'm going to learn how to mix. And I didn't have these good turntables. And I had the little SLB two hundreds, which was a Techniques turntable that had a belt drive system and it had a wheel for the pitch so you had to wheel it with your finger and it would pick up really fast and slow down really slow but it was never on in time with you and if you tried to move it with your finger you would stretch the belt and the belt would fall off the, the uh, mechanism and your turntable would go dead did that happen to you before? oh yeah and I used to go into Kmart and steal the belts out of the turntables they had on display and bring them nice on. and then I learned that you could use an elastic band and I was like there we go And so it just became, wasn't it just an an immediate obsession? An immediate obsession. I would sit in the basement just with my, uh, uh, the show records by Dougie Fresh and Get Fresh Crew. Yeah. And I was like learning how to cut. And I was learning how to nat, cut. Nat, nat, started, nat, 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 nat. started off on the Avenue when I made a name called the Get Fresh Crew. And I used to scratch Get Fresh Crew! Get Fresh get, get Fresh Crew. So what to what... the point where I burnt out the record. So when it would get to that party be like, Well, it started off on the Avenue when I made up a name called the <laughs>
2: <laughs> i literally had burnt the grooves away oh that's so dope though dude that's so dope that's like <laughs> it's like whiplash like that kid with his hands bloody You just wore out the record well what was the best dj gig you
0: ever had um it would have been in the in my later years as of as an adult and um it's djing with uh, nile rogers and chic who did la freak yeah good times Uh, uh, I Want Your Love. Now Rogers produced like the new... Everything. uh,
2: He produced that that fucking...
0: Daft Punk. Daft Punk record, yeah. He also produced um, Sister Sledge, We Are Family. He wrote all those tracks. He did uh, Let's Dance for David Bowie. He did... Yeah, he did everything. He did Upside Down for Diana Ross. He did I'm Coming Out. He did Notorious for Duran Duran. He did Like a Virgin. He did uh, uh, Not While You See a Chance, the other song. Higher Love.
2: Was it uh, what, by Steve Winwood? Yeah,
0: that's that's Nile. That's all Nile. So Nile and I are good friends, and Nile knows I DJ. So Nile and I will do. I will get you the video of this if you like. Please. Um, Nile and I would do this thing with the band, and he would play the beginning of La Freak, the guitar lick, ding, 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 and then I would be scratching the. Aww. Freak out, you know that ah part. Yeah. So we'll be like, and we battle each other, we'll be like, tink dink dink and like, ah, 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 and we would just keep going back and forth till we we'll be like, ah, freak out, and then the band kicks in. Oh my god! Yeah, it's amazing. How did you make the move from beats to jokes? <clears throat> um, I started doing comedy in '89, so it was you know I was doing it all at the same time. I just didn't know which one was going to pay off. I was really just hedging my bets. I would DJ to um, to make money. Like, I would do comedy on open mics Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, maybe. And then on the weekends, I needed money, so I would DJ either at a club or at a party or at a wedding or at a fucking birthday party. I didn't give a shit. I'd play whatever. And this is the time we had to carry records. You'd just be schlepping around a crate? Schlepping, fucking up my trunk and my hands. <laughs> what kind of car did you have? I had a... Uh, I had a Saturn.
2: Wow, dude. Look how far you've come. All right. Uh, three the hard way, uh, also known as El Shabazz. El Shabazz. <laughs> what up? <laughs> Yo, Dre. <laughs>
0: This didn't really seem like this a real was just, song. <clears throat> no, it wasn't. It was him fucking around. And sometimes when, I, uh, when I'm talking to LL, I'll say that to him. Another album. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is a very iconic song, though,
2: sampled and referenced by so many people. Third Bass, DeBrett, Rodney O, Joe Cooley, Easy e Beastie Boys, Invisible Scratch Pickles, Mix Master Mike. The list goes Invisible on. Invisible Scratch Pickles. So this is a
0: hidden impromptu acapella track at the end of side 1. Uh, Honestly, I think it was just trying to kill time. Fill space. There wasn't enough space to put a whole song. Yeah. And he didn't want to leave a big blank spot at the end. No, I understand. It was like and, it's like a minute 30 long. Yep. Besides. I remember playing this just to fuck around to scratch with. So, like I said, this is
2: a hidden impromptu acapella track. Now, let me ask you, what is something about you that you like to
0: keep hidden? I don't know. Um I don't know. I, I I don't really keep much hidden. <laughs> I'm pretty much an open book. Yeah, you do kind of open it up on stage. <clears throat> yeah, I don't. I don't really hide much. I, I I think it's weird when you do. If you're a comic, your job is to be exposed and open, and that's it's you know part of your your um, personal nudity up there. so Yeah, no, I, no, I
2: completely agree. Because actually, those are the the best comics, the ones that just basically bare their soul.
0: But is there anything that you won't talk about on stage? Um. No, not really. I mean, in certain places, I won't talk about religion. Yeah, well, that's... But as uh, I get older and, and, you know, in America and North America, I have no problem talking about it, (coughs) or in Europe or whatever. What about
2: around the world? Is there any places... No, around the world, I don't touch it because it's it's too sensitive a topic out there. Yeah, completely. What's fascinating about this song and this record is, in general... I can't call it a song. Well, I mean, I call it a track, but it's not a track. Song. All right, what's fascinating about this track, you're 100% right, <laughs> is how up until this and even after there's no cursing, gangster imagery or use of the N-word. It sounds refreshingly wholesome today, like an era that never existed. And then you hear this and you feel like you're hearing the real street corner that these guys are sitting at. It's just them just talking and like being yeah. together. And I think that's what's so badass about this track. It's just this moment in time. Now, you started in stand-up in the 80s right as the comedy boom happened. Yeah, I
0: started right as the comedy boom ended. Oh, you started as it ended? Yeah, and now we're in the boom again. Completely. Well, now
2: it's a whole different world. But when you look back on all the comedians then, they had to have full, clean shows that were network-ready. It was almost like Lenny Carlin and Pryor uh, when they were just starting out. Do you think that made comedians find a
0: stronger identity and material? Well, I don't... <clears throat> here's the thing. When I started, you didn't need to be clean. Um, the, cl- the clean patch was like around 80... I want to say 88 to 91, maybe. 90. And that was the uh, evening at the improv era. And that is basically what killed stand-up. Because everybody got on TV and not everybody was good. Yeah, I remember Comic Strip Live. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. And you were like, oh, this guy's terrible. How the fuck did that guy get on TV? And back then, getting on TV was a big deal. Yeah, it's not as big a deal anymore. You've been oh, on TV, yeah. I, I have, so, but but <laughs> uh, but
2: also now, I don't think they book. I don't think they book for who's funniest now.
0: Oh yeah, there's a lot of people that don't deserve half the shit. Most of the shit they got. Yeah, there's a lot of people, and you know, you could we could sound like haters when we talk about it. But there's a lot of people where you go, how the fuck do they keep banking on that person? Why does that guy keep getting work? Like, what the fuck? Do you know anybody who thinks that person is funny? No. Do you know any people that go that guy's funny? No. They just know his their name because they've been put in their face so much. Yeah. No, completely.
2: Do you think comedians today have the same opportunities that that you had back then or I think comedians today
0: have much more opportunities. Yeah. And there's more venue avenues for you to to do things. You you're in a little bit more control of the rate at which you move forward. Um you know, there is a lot of kids out there that that are really just throwbacks, and and, and not a, not, yeah, necessar- you, 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 not necessarily not necessarily a good or bad thing, but throwback in the yeah. sense that all they do is go to the comedy club, work on their act, or hang out and do comedy whenever they can, as much as they can, and they don't use the social media to their advantage, or they don't do this and they don't do that, and that's because they're. F- Focused on wanting to become a better comic, completely. But and 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 those are the people that suffer, the ones that are really working on the craft, yeah, because of their love for the craft. I mean, it's imp- it's just like you. We have to do so much shit now. It's, yeah, you it's... gotta, you gotta, you need a podcast. You need a goddamn comedy. We're jam. doing it right now. Yeah, <laughs> you dude. need a.
2: Well, to be honest, I, I'll be honest. Like, I I I, mean, like I, you need to hustle. I, I love. Listen, I stand up is my my number one love out of all of everything that I do. I've but known you. When did you start? I started in two thousand and eight. August 1st.
0: And I met you 2012. 2012 when we met. Right. It was after the big thing. Yeah. And uh, I've watched you hustle and I've watched you grow and I've watched you become a player in the game to the point where people need you more than you need them.
2: Oh, I love hearing you say this. It really oh, is. It's a, it was from
0: Honestly, for me as a guy who knew you when you were kind of in a really dark place, to see you come out seven years later and, you know, you've created successful show after show, and you keep coming up with cool fucking idea after cool fucking idea. It's impossible to negate or ignore what you have. Yeah. Well, I think, I think, and thank you for
2: that. Uh, I think, like, what I've realized was I wanted to be the guy that just kept his nose down and did stand-up, but... It was like, like, I just... You still got to eat? You st- yes. And I love stand-up comedy more than anything, but I've, I've realized that I have to keep creating these doors to walk through because the industry is just like, well, we just don't know what to do with you. So it's I'm the just same, like, well, I'll same show you. Yeah. Same with me. Exactly. You and look
0: at it. I've been doing this 30 years. I'm not a household name still. In, to, to some people, a lot of people know yeah. me. Let's not... I'm not going to downplay very, very that. popular, yes. I'm not downplaying that people know me, but the industry still kind of like is like, eh what else you got and you're like wait it's what such saying? bullshit but it's, and it's literally at a point now where i think it's hilarious because <clears throat> i almost hope that they continue to ignore me because it gives me something to hang on to yeah do you know what i mean it's like it's a good place to rest my anguish like oh dude uh,
2: it's having a chip on your shoulder is some of the I, best i, things I wouldn't say i have <laughs> a chip on my shoulder but i have like, one i mean yeah. it's, i definitely have this me. kind
0: of uh, smirk like oh yeah all oh, right you're ignoring me i forgot <laughs> oh well I'm just gonna go make some money then. Do you know what I mean? Because they're ignoring me it doesn't cost me anything. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not it's not making me go, oh my god, if they don't pay attention, how am I gonna pay my mortgage? I'm like, oh fuck you still. Okay, thank you. Hey, fuck you back. I'm gonna go make some money. So then bye-bye. at the
2: beginning though, how like how hard was the hustle at the beginning
0: then? I mean, For me, where, it was where... I, I hustled just as hard as everyone else. If you know, if not harder. I mean, at that time You gotta understand I was the first Indian guy. There was nobody like me before me. So I had nobody to look up to. I had nobody to go I'm going to be like that person. Yeah. And I had to meander my way through the business. I didn't know. I, nobody in my family's in the entertainment business. My family's is immigrants. Nobody in the, in, is in the business back home either. It was like, I'm this guy taking this new path that my dad literally sat me down and said, son, this job is for the blacks and the Jews and the whites. This is not a place for us. And I said, that's exactly why I'm going to make it. Fuck yeah, dude. And he goes, what do you mean? I said, because we are not represented I said, "This is a this is a fucking opening for me, right? That's the hole. I'm gonna go fill that hole, Dad." And he goes, "I just don't want your feelings to get hurt by this game." And here we are, 30 years here later. Here we are. I mean, but there's I mean, but living in, in this fucking dump.
2: This, this house is terrible. <laughs> all right, rock the bells. Now, this is my favorite song on the record. Oh, uh, it's this was the biggest song. This is all right. So, I love everything about this song. I love the drums. The beat is so sick. It's also funny that to me that this was like a hard beat back in the day. Like this beat must have fucking blown minds, especially off of this record. This is probably it's not the it's not the most intricate one, but it's just you can tell how far we've come. Right. Uh, but the simplicity of this is what's key to it, uh, and it does go pretty hard. Peter, play minute one, second eighteen. Let's go. And some girls won't Cause I I'm making money And your boyfriend
3: don't LL What the hell gonna rock the bells Or your washed up rap Wanna do this well Rock the bells
2: Some girls like this jam, and some girls won't. Cause I make a lot of money, and no, your boyfriend, boyfriend don't. LL went to hell. hell. I'm gonna rock the
0: Bell. bells and all your gunshot rappers. Dude, rock the bells. give me a panic
2: attack when they're trying to stay on beat. <laughs> this is so great. Uh, I I do love this song. I I can imagine that this must have been in like just been rocking in New York City nonstop when this came out, because I feel like there was probably nothing like it now. Uh, the origi- and the beat was so dope. It's so dope, dude. It's so dope. But you got to also play the original version, which is
0: not on the album.
2: Yes, the original version is a seven-minute version that was based on the 1982 song Breaking Bells by Crash Crew and had all kinds of Doo-doo. bells over it. It had a lot of cowbell. But LL didn't like it and had Rick Rubin and Ad Rock chop this down to four minutes to take the bells off. So ironically... they're Chopped are-
0: them? No, that's, they made a completely new song. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They it's not even out. like a remix. It's just
2: another song. Oh, really? Rock bells. Oh, because what I, what I had gotten was that they just took the bells off. No,
0: you listen to the original and you listen to this. They're, they're two completely different songs. Even I, as a kid, when I had the record, I go, ooh, what's this original version I played? I go, this sucks. And I was like, <laughs> this... I go, well, this remix... There's uh, bells on this song. There's not supposed to be bells. It's
2: rock the bells, not play the bells. Uh, but they took the bells
0: out. Have you ever been forced to cut something from your act? Um, when I'm like when you're taping, when you do a special, yeah. On my matter of fact, on my last special on Almost Famous for Netflix, uh, I shot it in Toronto, and uh, there's this guy in the front row who in Toronto was really famous because he, you know what he's like. He's like the. Uh, sit and sleep mattress guy over here you're killing me larry <laughs> yeah. if you do that outside of here nobody knows what the hell you're talking about <laughs> but he's like that in toronto and he's this he's he buys your gold he and he does these really cheesy commercials and he's like i'm the cash man i give you money for your old gold <laughs> Oh I love that. And he spray paints himself silver or gold and his and his catch line is oh yeah (laughs) And he's this dorky South African Jewish white man. Yeah. And he was in the front row and I just kept I was be doing the middle of my act and I would just look at him and I go I'm the cash man (laughs) and the audience would just start laughing and I wanted to keep it in in the special but Netflix was like too regional nobody's gonna get it I go if they google it or youtube it it'll be right there in front of them they will be in on the joke no it's too regional take it out I'm like whatever so yeah I was forced to edit that out the
2: track peaked at number 17 on billboard's r&b hip-hop chart in 19 rock the bells 1986 yes it did the track's name later served as the name of a festival and tour of hip-hop artists that spanned from yep. 2004 to the 13. I, uh, went, to it, I and, went
0: to it in 2010. And probably. it's also
2: the name of a hip-hop station on Sirius XM that includes uh, It's owned by LL. It's owned by LL. and it was launched in 2018. Uh, next song is the one that I think everybody got hooked to was, "I need a Beat." Sound This to me you know what's funny, Russell This to me, sounds like a nine-inch nail song. Those little, like, electrical noises. It's very, it's very, you can see, I can see that that Trent Reznor was influenced by this record. This, to me, sounds like a fucking Nine Inch Nails song. The synth noises, all the production. This is a standout track on the album, whereas This was the first single. Yeah, that others decidedly minimalistic production. This employs more jarring effects, like I said- playing with time and looping vocals in a way that was very uncommon back then. Peter, play a little bit of the instrumental uh, at, a uh, at 122. I love everything about this song. Now, this was first a 12-inch LL release before he released the album in 1984. Now, we mentioned it, or you mentioned it a second ago. Speaking of first, now, uh, you were one of the first comics to bring a special to Netflix. And HBO had been famous for comedy specials, and Comedy Central built the whole platform
0: around it. How did you end up being the first on Netflix? Um... They approached me about... Uh, they had bought a bunch of my older specials. I think they got. It. They had some nice response to it. And uh, they had planned on branching out when they came to me. So, uh, and they wanted to do the first straight-to-Netflix special. And they asked me to be the person. And I was m- m- more than happy to do it. Yeah. Because I like being a trailblazer. I like being the first to do these kinds of things. And uh, shit, I thought we were best friends at that time. <laughs> and, yeah. And uh and I was so excited to be part of the family. And they made me feel like that. And uh so they did it. We did it. Yeah. And and at that time I think they were only in uh North America. If they I don't yeah, they were in North America and they were in Norway for some reason. And they were about to expand to Australia and they hadn't even so gone. You're like this is like right at the jump of of Netflix. Yeah, they right? hadn't even gone global yet. They were planning on going global, and then uh and so they figured because I had a global audience, they would do it that way. But I I don't think it just it just didn't. I don't know what happened with it, but you know whatever they the, did. The I thing, did two specials with them, and that's
2: great. I think, but things come to an end.
0: Yeah, uh, I, you know.
2: I Need a Beat was co written with LL and Rick Rubin, also with Adam Horowitz uh, from the BC. King Wars. Ad Rock. King Ad Rock. Was, he was also the guy who found LL's demo tape and pushed Rick and Russell to give him a record deal. So Ad Rock is hugely instrumental in, in this album being heard by us. Who was the most instrumental
0: in giving you your big break? <clears throat> I don't think there's any one person who gave me my big break. Um, Uh, for me, it was the internet, so I had I guess it would be YouTube, I would be the first YouTube sensation, really. Yeah, and I'll tell you how and why. I did a special in 2003, it aired in 2004, and it started getting uh, um, shared in file sharing group chats. People started breaking it up and sending it as a file, and um. It started my that special got chopped up into different. I was talking about different nationalities, it would get chopped up into the nationality, and the bit would go uh, to that. You were Jamaican, it would get sent around a bunch of Jamaicans. You were Chinese, got sent around a bunch of Chinese. You were Indian, Italian, whatever I talked about, it got sent around to these people, and it became like this little underground cult following. Cut to 2005, YouTube starts, and the entire special gets put on YouTube. I, to this day, don't know who put it on there. But you owe them a huge debt of gratitude. I uh, sure do, but you know, I'm never going to be able to find out who it was. No, but
2: it, so it just got
0: shared to the point and it where... The one that got put on YouTube, it literally hit over... It's like over 100 million hits or something like that. It's insane. It's still a shock to me. You know what I mean? It's not like I sit there and go, yeah, this was meant to happen. I go... Is a complete fluke, dude. <laughs> this could have this could have been anybody, but I got lucky. Oh, good for you, dude. That's fucking incredible.
2: If you're the guy that put that on YouTube, send an email to the500podcast yeah. at gmail.com, and I know you're and, out there. With
0: some sort of proof.
2: I don't know how they're going to prove it. It's probably just some Indian computer whiz. Like, would have I have to fucking been. Would have... love
5: the Russell.
2: Yeah. The commercial success of I Need a Beat. Along with the BC Boy single Rock Hard helped Def Jam land a distribution deal with Columbia Records the following year. About the same time LL dropped out of high school to pursue his career, while he eventually returned to get his GED, he had already established That's a general education on decency. Now, you joke about being cheap, but you set up the Russell Peters North Peel Scholarship, an award that helps finance up to three years of college for kids who went to high school. However, like LL, you didn't end up with what you have today by going the higher learning route either. How did that come about and why?
0: I uh, got kicked out of regular high school after 10th grade. And um, so 11th and 12th grade. They, they, at the first high school, I was just miserable every day because I was getting bullied and picked on all the time. So I was like, I just didn't want to be there. And so the guidance counselor calls me and he says, I think uh, you're never going to graduate. First of all, you're never going to graduate from this high school. You need 16 credits by the end of 10th grade, and you have seven. You have seven accumulated from nine and 10. Oh, wow. Yeah, like you're never going to graduate. There's no way you're going to have, like, so have you thought about taking a trade? I'm like, huh? I I never thought about a trade. What do you like to do? I go, do you like cooking? I go, yeah, I like cooking. Okay, we're going to send you down to North Peel, and they have a cooking program. It's a trade school, a.k.a. a behavioral school. Um. (laughs) And they sent me there, and I took chef training. And it was full of kids that were, um, they either had behavioral problems, they had ADD, or they had, uh, or they might have been handicapped, whatever the deal was. Um, but to me, it was it was more real people. They were, they were real, you know. They they uh, f- less filter on them. Oh sure, yeah. And I really connected with that. And I knew I was never going to be a chef, but I didn't know what I was going to be. And I was popular in that school, and nobody bullied me, and everybody was cool. And the, there was the gangsters in that school, but the gangsters liked me because I was funny. Yeah. And I was also a good lookout guy for them when we go to the mall. <laughs> you know what I mean? we go to the mall, I would distract Put it in
2: your back. Put it in your back. You I
0: good, would distract good. the lady at the counter, and they would rob the store, and then I would leave because I was like this little Indian boy. They were like, oh, he's not going to do anything. And then all these black dudes come little in. did they know you were in
2: cahoots. Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> so it was like that.
2: All right, next song, That's a Lie. Uh, that's a lie. The opening, You're a liar. This is, I, mean, this I is, did not like this, this song is, at all. It's like this and Dear Yvette and a few others I just find to be extremely humorous. It starts off with Russell Simmons, and Russell Simmons is the voice throughout of the guy that's like, yo, man, I got this Rolex, and he's like, yo, I got this new car. Uh, even though it's cheesy as fuck, I do like this song. Uh, it's literally... Uh, About people trying to impress others by lying. Uh, The one thing I do like is the bells throughout. Uh, Peter, play the chorus.
0: I mean, that's just garbage. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just listen. Just so you know, in the hip-hop world, this song was never rated ever.
2: You claim to do things that no one could achieve. You said you did things Ripley's wouldn't believe. This is like white people rapping. I'm so sorry. Uh, they Also, the funny line, the filet mignon White Castle line was pretty funny. Now, something cool fact about this, 23 three years later, Ice Cube basically made the same song with You Ain't Gonna Lie to Kick It. Uh, and basically, Ice Cube needs you and yours to know that you don't gotta make yourself out to be something you didn't, that you, that you aren't to hang with him. Now, this was pretty similar to Run DMC's comical diss track, You Talk Too Much. Ha <laughs> ha. Ha, 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 very funny, motherfucker. On they the, sampled
0: Eddie Murphy in that.
2: On this, Russell Simmons tells outlandish lies and gets called out and schooled by LL. What's the dumbest lie you've ever been caught telling?
0: Uh, I'm not much of a liar. Let me see. Um, it's usually to a chick if I have a lie, you know what I mean? <laughs> and then you, it, when, that's why I don't lie because I, you know, you lie, it literally does spiral out of control. But you I don't mean, have, it, you it, don't have you know, to lie.
2: It's like you literally—it's you, you. really don't. Yeah, no, I—I I, I don't. I'm not. I don't lie,
0: but that's a lie. I, uh, we all lie. Just we I mean, all a, lie. I mean, we all lie, to, but it's to protect something else. Sure. You know I mean, well, can you repair your trust with somebody if you found out they lied to you? It's difficult. My assistant's been lying to me lately, and I, I'm having a tough time believing any fucking thing he tells what is he, me. What did he lie about? I know, he's lied about some chick, and I'm like, dude, i you fucking lie about that. I don't care. Yeah, it was like it was a lie where you're like, why? This is, a, this is a, it's not only is it, did you not need to lie there? Why would you lie about that? Like that's it, out of everything. It's you completely could lie for, yeah. unconsequential to my life or yours. It, it's really none of my business. You don't need to lie about that. Maybe just wants to impress you. No, like Russell Simmons
2: in the song. All right. Well, what's what's the biggest lie you've heard about yourself?
0: Um, it's funny when sometimes people. Yeah, I met you once before. You were kind of a jerk. I'm like, what? That's bullshit. There's no fucking way. I, I'm I I pride myself on being friendly to every human being I meet. You know, if you're rude to me, I'm gonna be rude back to you. Though, you know what I mean? If you're yeah. gonna be a dick, I'm gonna be a dick too. I'm like, I'm gonna be a fucking dick. I I can't
2: imagine you. First impression to somebody being that way. I mean, every, you're, since I've met you, you've been one of the nicest guys I've ever met. You are a Holocaust denier, but besides that,
0: you're fantastic. What Holocaust? <laughs> all right. Uh, Holocaust to be the boss.
1: One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods.
2: (laughs) All right, You'll Rock uh, is the next song. You'll Rock. Do do, do, Do you like this one? Yeah. You do like this one? I think it's okay. This
0: was on the B side of I Want You, I think. Or, um... Or it was on the B side of I need a beat. This this song to me,
2: uh, Peter, play the intro into the first verse because we'll talk about that. Every verse on this kind of sounds the same. Uh the only thing I really liked about it that that really stuck out was the Rick Rubin guitar chorus. It's kind of got that like Beastie Boy feel. This is just more of LL saying he's the best. Uh he's saying he's good, his rhyming's good, his DJ's good, his turf's good. The one line that I did like, uh, I disintegrate rappers, I can and
0: I could. The great Edgar Allan Poe couldn't so I write wish, this good. Oh, I thought Oh yeah, no, there's another song I said, I got a gold name plate that says I wish you would.
2: Just so you don't need to boast yourself up, I'll do it for you. All right. Your career has had incredible pinnacles of success. You've won many awards and honors and have sold out arenas. You basically you've just you've done everything. Uh, what's been your greatest honor or achievement?
0: Ooh, I was just thinking about this the other day. Shit balls. Um, I don't know. There's been a few, but what? What's? Give me some of them. I think the first time I sold out the Air Canada Center in Toronto for two nights, it was in 2007, and you know I'd been doing stand-up 18 years at the time, and uh, I just I'd moved to America a year before that, so I'd only been living in the states for one year, and I came home to this amazing uh, reception and it was like a really, a, a real moment for me when I was in the Air Canada Center backstage and you know the, uh, the energy in the room was incredible and then the lights went black to start the show and you heard the crowd Roar yeah. And I got teary eyed Oh man I started yeah. getting My chin started quivering And there was tears in my eyes I'm like Oh fuck I gotta go on stage And I'm about to cry right now <laughs> And then I walked out And they gave me a standing <laughs> Oh and they were screaming And I had to My chin was quivering I'm like stop it You're gonna make me cry <laughs> Oh I mean that's gotta be An incredible feeling Especially an, to be amazing. able to come
2: back Um Any others that really Have stuck
0: out to you Uh there, there are, and I was just thinking about them the other day. God damn it, and I forgot it. It'll come back to me. It'll come back to you if you think of it.
2: Uh, LL's grandfather, who was a jazz saxophonist, got him the equipment that started his career. Uh, who was the most supportive member of your family? My brother, I would say. Just, my brother just, was the most supportive. Just got your back the whole time? Yeah, I mean,
0: he's my big brother. He's six years older than me, so, you know, when I'm... When I wanted to, when I had started considering doing stand up, I was 18. And my brother said, Well, if that's what you want to do, have you ever seen it live? And I was like, No, actually. I mean, I'd seen Carlin and I'd seen Eddie Murphy live, but I'd never like been to like a comedy club and yeah. seen it. Because I didn't have a car and we lived in the suburbs. So I was like, How am I going to get there? Like, if I get there, getting there is not the problem. Getting home would be the problem. Sure. And so your brother took you? I was Yeah, well, let's go. So he took me to go see theater sports. Which was like um, an improv class, kind of thing, and I was like, "Nah, that's not it." Then he took me to Yuck Yucks on an open mic night, and I watched it, and I was like, "Oh wow!" And I was like, "I think I could do that," and I think I could be better than that person and that person. I I want to try it. You went up that night? No, nope. I you- plotted it. I plotted it. I you know had I had I started. Um, uh, maybe a couple of months earlier, I would have started when I was 18. Then I was like, fuck. <laughs> you know yeah. I mean? But uh, I started when I, I, I just turned 19 when I started. How was that first set? Awful. Really? Fucking you thought it was awful? Awful.
2: But it's I always think that the first time somebody does stand up, they actually think it's like you know, everybody's always like it went well
0: because you have nope. nothing to compare it against. Nope. I remember. I, I, that's also the thing. I've also been very honest with myself and I can also judge comics when I when they get off and how they perceive their set to have been. Because like, I had to go, oh, man, that was great. And I was like, and in my head, I'm like, really? You heard great. Interesting, because I didn't hear that. <laughs> yeah. You know that's, what I mean? It, it shows me how delusional somebody is.
2: Well, I think, you know what's funny is I, I'm able I to. I think that's an
0: L.A. thing, too. Where It's nobody, very L.A. It's nobody what, wants no, to admit they bombed.
2: That's all. No, no, no. I think that's, I, I, I agree with that, but I also want to disagree, because I think that a lot of the comics, like, uh, I started just saying it was fun because I'm having fun every set. Yeah. You know what I mean? I've become very realistic with what I hear and it's like, I know when I kill. There's a feeling that you yeah. get inside of you when you're killing. And
0: when I do kill, I will never say I killed.
2: No, never. You might tell like one person be like, dude, I I'm like, fuck, that was a, gra- that was I had a, a- fucking <laughs> great time <laughs> it's, up there. I just ripped. You guys do it. Was like nine girls trying to fuck me afterwards. Gotta yeah. tell my girl that? Hold on. All yeah. right. We talked about the most supportive. Who was the least supportive
0: family member? Uh... Can I consider them a family member? If they're married to one of them, somebody in my family? Yeah. What did they give you backhanded compliments? Not even. My cousin uh, and I hope they listen to this. My cousin married this guy. I'm not going to name names. And her husband. This must have been around uh, ninety. <coughs> excuse me, ninety four, ninety five. And um, <coughs> I said, Hey, man, you should come see me do stand up. I'm going to be at Yuck Yucks. Let me know when you make it, and then maybe I'll come see you. let me know when you're headlining or something and maybe i'll come see you but until then i don't want to watch you work out your material Oof! i was like oh really fuck face is that right and then uh i never invited him ever again and then uh i was in some city on tour and he showed up at my show and in my head i was like i want to fucking tell you to leave this was recently too i was like i want this motherfucker to leave but i didn't say nothing has he ever said anything about that? No, because like, he's a dick. He's just that dude. He's just that much of a dick. We probably—I didn't say that. I don't. Yeah, of course you didn't say. So,
2: that. so all right. This is this isn't coming from the album. But if if you could like rub your success
0: in anybody's face, who would it be? There's a lot of people. I think that's the reason why I'm successful is because there was a lot of people whose faces I wanted to rub it in. Uh, a lot of people were mean to me. A lot of people were negative to me growing up. And I think that's what motivated me to want to be successful because I don't know yeah. how old I was when somebody said, you know, the best revenge is success. I said, what does that even mean? They go, if you make it at whatever you're trying to do and become successful, that burns everybody else. And I didn't understand it until it started happening. And I was like,
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, this is fucking great. It's <clears throat> it's so great. Yeah, I, I definitely was the guy in high school that people were like, either he is going to do this or he is and he's going to follow his dreams and
0: do that or i'm going to die very early so i had an eighth, that- eight, an eighth grade teacher um uh, mr Steele, piece of shit um i was sweeping the classroom you know you had to take turns i was sweeping the class He goes come on sweep faster and i go i'm sweeping and he, I, i'm trying to get the dust everywhere right and he goes well, come on practice your future profession and, and now I'm sure if you ask him now, he goes. Like, I was just trying to motivate him. I'm what like, a fine. dick! Yeah, and I go, no, you weren't trying to motivate me because you were always a fucking asshole to me in that class. You were a cocksucker, and now I've made it, and you're still a dick.
2: I I I I can't believe a teacher. I mean, I've had teachers that were that were pieces. Gordon of shit
0: to me. Steele. If you're out there, Gordon, go
2: fuck yourself. Yeah, absolutely. the well, you
0: fucking what, corner of your mouth. Wipe the corner of your mouth too. You fucking he just hit that crust. Yeah. That lip always.
2: Crust. Always with the lip crust. Well. Uh, final song on the record, I Want You. Here is the second rap ballad on the record, and this one really ends the record with an eye on his female fan base. Like Teddy Pendergrass, LL really brilliantly connected with his entire female audience. He would use this to even greater success on the ballad, I Need Love, a few years later. Uh, a year later. A year later? He was churning them out.
0: Yeah, he was. How did you find your target audience? I just looked, and there they were. I um, <laughs> I didn't source. I didn't search them out. I was. I think. I think that's one of the things that always rings true for me. If you just do you, they will find you. If you try to find them, they will become elusive. But and you, you are not being true to yourself if you search for them.
2: But you have a very strong connection with your fans.
0: My my, I, and I don't like calling fans either because I don't feel like. I always feel like if you call somebody a fan, it puts you in a position where you're somehow better or higher than them. And in my world, there is no better or higher. We are all the same, which sounds very cliche. And I know nah, it sounds, but, it's, but it's, it's, it's it's a real thing in my head. I so I always say my friends. I'm like my the, you know the, the people that come and see me. I consider them my friends because they continuously to support. they continuously support me. And they're always there there. We have a great relationship And when I'm on stage They're there to see me And I'm I'm there to give them What they came to see Yeah And why do you think Do you think that's That's the
2: reason That you have the strong connection With them Is that you're not calling them The fans Or was there anything That you like That you can remember That kind of You think really built that
0: I think they just appreciate The realness of me I don't pretend to be something I'm not I'm not trying to be Um What's popular at the moment? I'm just trying to be me. Yeah. And uh, mm. I didn't change my style up because that's the style that's working right now. I didn't uh, change my words up because those words are not acceptable anymore. I'm being me. I'm being true to myself. And if you're being true to yourself, the people that like you will appreciate that about you. Completely. All right. You so, to... it sounds like a fucking Yeah, but, it, it but like it's, a moment but it's
2: so me. true, though. All right. You want to do a couple facts and we'll get out of here? Let's do it. All right. Uh, facts. 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 Facts, 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 facts. Rock the Bells became synonymous with old-school rap, and in 2004, the first Rock the Bells festival took place in San Bernardino, California, featuring a reunited Wu-Tang Clan in what would be their final performance. The festival was documented in the movie of the same name, which, which was released in 2006. Uh... Who are your all-time favorite hip-hop
0: acts? As a group? Whoever. Let's see. De La Soul, Tribe Called Quest, Wu-Tang Clan, um, Run DMC. uh, The Roots.
2: The Roots are very dope. One of the best concerts I ever saw in my life was I saw uh, Old Dirty Bastard in the Brooklyn Zoo. Just Old Dirty Bastard. ODB by himself?
0: It was one of the most magical experiences of my life. I saw Wu-Tang in Toronto in 1996, and ODB that night slapped the sound guy. Did he really? <laughs> I was standing like near the sound guy, and ODB's on stage like, Turn my motherfucking mic up. And he was like, and, the, and you see the sound guy going like, that's it. That's, that's all I can give you. It's that Max. And he's like, tell my motherfucker mic up. <laughs> and ODB walks over with the mic. He's like, don't ever disrespect me, motherfucker. I'm God. And he slapped him in the fucking head. And I'm like, oh, shit. That's incredible.
2: When I went to the show, there was, I was all the way in the back of the theater, and then it was packed to the gills, and then people started fighting. And as they would fight, they'd start pulling people out. By the end of the show, I'd say half the audience was there because so many people got kicked out, right. and I was in the front row. All right. In 1989, New York indie alternative band Too Much Joy covered That's a Lie. They even got LL to make an appearance in the music video for it to tell a lie during the breakdown. It got them more MTV Airplay and boosted their careers. All right, final question. Because like LL, you're a worldwide phenomenon. Where do you think you are the
0: least recognized? Where am I the least recognized? Middle America. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, You you play out in the Midwest? Not that much. Like when you say Midwest, you mean like real America.
2: I mean like, yeah, like you said, middle America. Like I don't do
0: Idaho or... Or the Dakotas, or I've never been to New Mexico, or the Omaha, or Nebraska, or I've never been to any of these places. But have
2: you been to? You've, have you been to every continent in the world? I assume almost every continent in the world. Where have you missed Antarctica?
0: Uh, Antarctica. you like no, I played That's the true. yuck yucks up there. Yeah, I, I played the uh, ice wall. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I have not been to Antarctica. I have performed in Greenland, ironically. Really? Yeah. Which isn't green. No, not it's at all. It's ice, right? Yes, it is. Would that be? Is that the South Pole or the North Pole, or was that?
2: No, Greenland is is like isn't that like attached to Canada?
0: Uh, it's north of it.
2: Yeah, but it's like over. It's like above us a little bit to the like to the right. It's basically.
0: It was twenty four hour darkness when I did it. Like the movie Thirty Days of Night. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. So where and people are bummed, like mad depressed. Oh, I it. could imagine. And I dude. fucking bombed. It was amazing. Really? Yeah, and I'm like, this is weird. You guys have nothing else going on here. And and I'm fucking bombing. How is this possible?
2: I'm entertaining
0: you guys. There's nothing here. Nothing. They literally stared at me like, what the fuck are you doing? You're probably so tired. And I was like, I don't understand. You you have nothing else going on in this town. (laughs) Laugh, motherfucker. All right, well, where are you the most recognized? Uh, Canada, for
2: sure. Well, I love that you came on here, man, and and I'm it's I'm lo- I love that you
0: made me come. I, I, this is literally <laughs> all over the place. This was
2: this was this was literally uh, the second I saw this record, I thought of you. So uh, I'm really glad we got to sit down
0: and talk about it. But I am as well, and you know, and Todd, if you ever listen to this, you send me the link. I'm gonna send it to L O when it comes out, please. Todd, this is the fucking show I wanted you to sit in on with me because I wanted to go over this record with you. Um, but this is how you treat your Indian brother. That motherfucker. All right, thank you, brother. Yo event there's a lot of rumors going around. It's so bad, baby. You might have to skip town. See something smelling fishy, and they say it's you. All I know is that you made it with the whole
2: Dear Evette, dear Evette, dear Evette, keep do. For all things Russell Peters, go to www.russellpeters.com. Make sure you follow Russell on Twitter at the real Russell P, and on Facebook and the Gram, you can find him at Russell Peters, guys. I'll be posting his mixtape track listing link as soon as I get it from him. I bet it's going to be hip hop heavy. Maybe some, uh, maybe some like hard rock. But for all things 500, guys, go to the500podcast.com where you can find all the mixtapes, all the artists of the week. Every little thing about the 500 is right there on our goddamn website. Email me, email Jeremiah, email Morty, email fucking Dave, email fucking Pete, Peter, if you want to call him that, because that's what I call him. But email us, guys, and you can do that at the 500podcast at gmail.com. And follow me on all social media at Josh Adam Myers. Guys, I'm so close to 10,000. It's a big day for me. Also, uh, Thursday night, this Thursday, guys, I'm doing a shimmy shimmy uh, at the uh, at the comedy store at 8 p.m. with Dane Cook and Brian Callan. And who else? Who else on that motherfucker? Oh, Michael Rappaport and. Uh, Bobby Lee. Oh, it's going to be great, man. Yeah, fuck yeah. Everybody come, dude. Meth Syndicate sponsors it. Go to Meth Syndicate. At Meth Syndicate to buy any merch. All that shit. We have merch coming. Follow my writer at DJ Morty Coyle. And then check out his Instagram page where him and his daughter sing very, very well uh, different songs in the history of music. And you can find that at B and Daddy Cartoons. Now, we just listened to LL from 1985. Now, here is an artist that is... Directly influenced by this album. From Charlotte, North Carolina, we have Loot with his song Still Slummin'. And if you're in a band and we're directly influenced by one of these albums or artists and you want your music featured on the 500, send us your song. You can send it to 500 podcasts at gmail.com. Make sure you put the album and the artists that influence you in the subject line. Next week is Fuji's week with their 1996 hip-hop classic, The Score. So y'all got some homework to do. Thank you, Fleesters. I fucking love you. Stay Fleecy all day, all the
4: time. I'm still slumming while I'm chasing life. Took two steps back to get it right. I'm still slumming while I'm chasing life. Two steps back to get it right. I'm still slummin while I'm chasing life. Right. Chasin life. Chasin right. chasin
5: life. Two steps back to get it right. Took off my work badge. Realized I'm back in the hood. Like what's good? My cousin called, told me he coming through. Like yo, what up? Why you back, bruh? See, you should be laying tracks with J. Cole, and who knows, maybe he sign your ass. See, I don't know just how this rap thing go, but from the looks of it, you closer than most niggas that I know, so please explain. Where I see it, bro, you paving lanes. What you don't believe, cause boy, your songs did some things for me. Had me thinking we was trapped, but loot you set us free. Niggas, stay focused when it's right for you, it's Smith to be. Every time I play a song, you gain a fan. Nigga, you the man, drop a song, what you waiting on? You in high demand, and that's life. Only one time to get it right, take a flight. View this world from a different height and see this hood still the same. No matter how you view it, you got dreams. I just rather you pursue it. Just promise you never change. I don't care just how you do it. Fuck them niggas, you ain't got to prove shit. And see this hood still the same. No matter what you doing. So for you, I empty out a whole clip. I'm still slummin' while I'm chasing
4: life. Two steps back just to get it right. I'm still slummin' while I'm chasing life. Two steps back just to get it right. I'm still slummin' while I'm chasing life. Two steps back (inaudible) just to get it right. I'm still slummin' while I'm chasing
5: life. Two steps back just to get (gasps) it right. As I let the Chevy skate like trade winds back in the day Wishing upon these stars like God, show me the way cause ain't no looking back Been in the trap so long, I'm tired of shooting back Keep your eyes peeled, don't let the steel hit you Envy be that bitch that fuck the niggas that chill with you That's why I can never trust these niggas Trigger finger itching, contemplating shit, I pull it Lost more friends to bullshit than a bullet Brother Pooh called me up, he tell me stay consistent The fact that you yourself, that's what make you different like fuck the gold chains, diamond rings. Keep your eyes on the prize that don't make a difference. Cause you're still a young king without the bling. Keep your eyes on the prize, shine on these niggas. I'm still slummin'
4: while I'm chasing life. Two
5: steps back,
4: just to get it right. I'm still slummin' while I'm chasing life. Took two steps back, just to get it right. I'm still slummin' while I'm chasing life. Two steps back just to get it right. I'm still slummin' while I'm chasing life to get it right i'm still slumming while i'm chasing fly two steps back just to get it right still slumming while i'm chasing fly two steps back just to get it right i'm still slumming while i'm chasing fly two steps back just to get it right still slumming while i'm chasing fly two steps back just to get it right.
1: even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at Chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's Chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You're
0: out there.
1: Yes, hello there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together, we host None But The Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and e Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nemo the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, And we hope to see you further on up the road.
4: Thank you so much. We'll be seeing you. Next Chapter Podcasts.